Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. John 17. Have you found that yet? It's in the New Testament. Uh, Gospel of John, fourth gospel. And I don't know if you've ever thought about your prayers, the words you pray. Have you ever thought about that? Have you Imagine if somebody was to record your time of prayer and then play it back to you. What would your, what would your prayers look like? What would your prayers look like? In John 17, what we're going to be dealing with is Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the entire chapter, but what many believe is that this gives you a window into the heart of Jesus. Because the prayer life, really, your prayer life, my prayer life, speaks volumes of our relationship with God. And that's why I tell people, have you ever examined your hearts? Have you ever examined your prayer life before and heard the words that were being prayed? Because what you pray is a reflection of your relationship with God. And in John 17, we see this window into Jesus' heart. Leslie Newbigin, by the way, New Testament scholar, said when you hear someone pray, you probably get a clearer glimpse into their relationship with God than anything else They do. And maybe as we go through this 17th chapter, this chapter, this high priestly prayer of Jesus, that our prayer life would be transformed. That you and I would even take the words that Jesus prays and allow the Holy Spirit to drill them in our heart in such a way that our hearts would be molded and shaped. So often our prayers are not guided by God's word and God's spirit, they become carnal. They become carnal, and that's why I so appreciate this prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Now, if you follow John's Gospel, you're going to see something amazing, because beginning in chapter 13, we see where Jesus is at the Last Supper. We see many words that he gives, chapter 14, more words, chapter 15, more words, chapter 16, more words, chapter 17, entire chapter of his prayer, chapter 18, we have his betrayal, we have his arrest, we have Peter denying Jesus, he's going to go on trial. So when you look at John's gospel, there's an amazing amount of territory given to the last hours of Jesus. When you're looking at chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and part of 19, you're looking at almost seven chapters given to the last few hours of Jesus' life. And that is amazing. So when we look at this prayer, when we look at these words of Jesus, John recorded these words, and they're, they're to be taken to heart. They're to see in the highest importance as we look at Jesus as our high priestly prayer. Now, why don't we read the chapter together? We'll get a, a little bit of a idea of the flow of what's happening, and then I'm going to expound it in probably a little bit different way than I normally do. So chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. By the way, eternal life is more than just a quantity of time that doesn't run out. It's not just endless time, but eternal life consists of knowing God personally. That's the beauty of it. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent so you have sent me into the world, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What an amazing prayer. I think we need to read more chapters of the Bible. I don't know about you, but... When I read this chapter once again and got familiar with it once again, I thought what a powerful, powerful prayer that the Lord had prayed in this chapter. And, and it has a natural flow to it. If you follow it, verses 1 to 5, Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. Presently, in verses 20 to 26, Jesus is praying also for those who would believe. It's got this natural flow to it. He begins with himself, 
and praying to the Father, then moving, praying on behalf of others, and then on those who would believe in the future. Now, as I look at this, and I look at this chapter, it's a long chapter. There is so much packed in this chapter, and we have one session with it. I want to approach it from a different way. I'm going to approach it by asking questions and providing some sort of answers for you. So I want to look at this through the lens of four questions, if you will. Number one, who did Jesus pray to? Question number two, who did Jesus pray for? Question number three, what did Jesus pray for? And question number four, why did Jesus pray? I want to look at it with those questions, and I want to look first, who did Jesus pray to? Who did Jesus pray to? Well, it opens up with him turning his eyes to heaven. By the way, you can see that in the Old Testament when people prayed. They often turned their eyes upward to heaven because that's where their help comes from. And he opens up and he says, Father, that's the first word in this prayer. Now, it isn't the only time that you see the word Father in this prayer. He actually says it and repeats it six times. In verse 1, we see Father. In verse 5, we see Father. In verse 11, we see Father. In verse 21, we see Father. In verse 24, we see Father. And in verse 25, we see Father. It highlights the intimacy that Jesus has with the Father. Now, this was unusual in Jewish culture because in Jewish culture, they generally didn't pray individually as God as their father. Now, it wasn't unknown for them to gather corporately and to address God as father, but oftentimes when they were praying individually, it was unknown for an individual to pray father. And yet Jesus says this is how we're supposed to pray. He says, this is how we're supposed to pray, that when you pray in Matthew chapter 6, you pray, our Father. Six times in this chapter alone, he addresses God as Father. And as we pray to God, we have that same privilege that Jesus did of approaching the throne. As awkward as it may feel as some of you. In fact, there were Jews in that day that thought that how can you address God as Father? How can you address him as father? He is high and he is mighty. He is the lofty one. And there were pious Jews that were against that. And sometimes that may feel awkward for you and me today that as we look at this mighty God, in Genesis 1, he creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks everything into existence. That you and I would say, man, how can we come to the throne as Father? You know how we can come to the throne as Father? Because in John chapter 1, he says, all who believe in Jesus have been given the power to become the children of God. And now our relationship changes where we now approach God as Father. But there's something you have to understand too. You have to understand he isn't just God the Father. There's virtues and characteristics and attributes about God that must be respected. He's not just God the Father. He's God the Holy and Righteous One. In fact, in verse 11, look how Jesus addresses him. He addresses him as saying, Holy Father. Now this speaks of the transcendence of God. This without a doubt speaks of God being totally separate from his creation and totally being untainted by sin. Now understand that because when we approach God 
as father, we're approaching him as the holy God as well. There needs to be a respect and reverence towards that. When you look at verse 25, he says, O righteous father, O righteous father, God is righteous in all of his judgments. He's righteous in every part of his word that he's given. You and I do not have the prerogative to say what is right or wrong. God himself delineates what is right and wrong. And we don't approach God on our terms, do we? We approach God on his terms. Now, with that being said, I think that that should remove any casualty about prayer. In fact, I'm not saying that intimacy shouldn't happen with God. It absolutely should. But sometimes people connect intimacy with casualty. In other words, they become so intimate with somebody that they become too casual in the relationship. But when it comes to God, we can't be casual about that. There's intimacy, yes. I remember when the shirts came out at one point, you know, and again, you know, if you have this shirt, burn it. No, I'm just kidding. I remember when the shirts came out that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And everybody warm, and I'm not, I'm not making a judgment on that, but I'm saying that there should be a respect and a reverence towards who God is. And that's what we see in Jesus' own prayer. He's God, the holy and righteous one, but he's not only God, the holy and righteous one. He is God, the only true God. Look at verse 3 with me. And this is eternal life that they know you. What does it say? The only true God. There is only one true God. Only one. In fact, that's what I like about the church in Thessalonica, that Paul specifically points out that they turned from their dead idols to the true and living God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, he says. God's the only true God. Everyone else is a sham. <laughs> Everyone else is a fake. Everyone else is a phony. That there is no more than one true and living God. We know it. We sang about it. That that true and living God exists in Trinity. And that's what's unique about That's why we say God the Father. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And he's the only true and living God. When people pray, and sometimes you see it in our leadership that something bad goes on in the country and everyone gathers around, but they, they pray to some generic God out there so they don't offend anybody. I'm going to tell you today, if you're not praying to the true and living God, it's a waste of breath. Why even pray? People pray hours and hours and hours. They sit, they meditate. They met To who? To a dead idol who has no capacity to hear the prayers and let alone the capacity to answer prayers. And so whatever they believe or answered prayers are nothing more than coincidences. Because they're praying to a dead idol. They're praying to a dead idol. So who does Jesus pray to? Well, he prays to God the Father. He prays to God the Holy and Righteous One. He prays to God the only true God. What an amazing thing that you find in this passage of Scripture. There's doctrine that already comes out. 
Now, who does Jesus pray for? That's another thing. And I'm going to give you a flyover of who Jesus prays for, and then we will break it down in the next question on what does Jesus pray for. But who does Jesus pray for? Jesus first prays for himself. That's what verses 1 through 5 are all about. It's Jesus praying for himself in verse 1. Glorify your son. In verse 5, glorify me. Notice first, I want you to see before we get into the next question, that it's okay to pray for yourself. I mean, you need to understand that, that sometimes we have this feeling that we shouldn't be praying for ourselves. We're supposed to be praying for everybody else. And, and yeah, we live a life of self-denial. We deny the flesh and we deny the temptations of the world and we live this life of self-denial, but that doesn't mean you're not supposed to pray for yourself. Remember a pastor friend of mine who's with the Lord today, he's, he's with Jesus. He passed away several years ago, but I remember he hit this rough patch with God and he had this moral failure in his ministry and when I talked to him and started ministering to him and trying to get him turned around and on the right track again, which ultimately he did, that he told me this. I'll never forget the statement. He said, Pastor Walt, in the midst of praying for everybody else and everything else out there, I never prayed for myself. We live a life of self-denial, but we should be, I do. I pray for myself. I mean, that isn't the center of my prayers, or I would have to say it's self-centered prayer. But I pray for myself. Lord, protect me from the evil one. Protect me from temptation, Lord. You know, there's so many things that the flesh wants to rise up and wants to take over and take control of, and it's only in prayer that you're going to defeat that, that you're going to conquer that. So Jesus, he first prays for himself in verses 1 to 5. Jesus prays for his disciples in verses 6 to 19. Look at in verse 9, he says, for them. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, he uses the word, the pronouns, them. Who are them? Who are they? If you follow the thems and the theys, you find out he's referring to his disciples. He's now praying for his disciples. Jesus begins this part of his prayer on behalf of his disciples in verse 6 by saying, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Isn't that amazing? He refers to the disciples that God has given. I'm going to tell you what that means in a moment. But they were given out of this world. I think that's so significant because we lived in this world. This world was our home prior to Christ. This world was what we were looking to for satisfaction and fulfillment and everything else. And God and his goodness pulls us out of this world. Not physically and not to go home yet. Because Jesus specifically prays, don't take him out of this world. But those whom you gave me out of this world, this is why you see what others don't see. This is why you can't get angry at people that don't understand what you understand. You can get all up in a tizzy and everything else, and you, you forget you're dealing with blind people. You're dealing with deaf people. You're dealing with people just like you were before your eyes were opened. 
So he's praying and he's praying for them, for these. The Father gave his disciples to him out of this world. This is the Father's gift to him. I love that. I appreciate your prayers. Believe me, don't quit praying for me. We pray for you guys when you call in for prayer requests, when you're going through something just like Jonathan was praying, that we will pray for you. You guys pray for me. I appreciate your prayers. But man, there's nobody better to pray for me than Jesus. And that's what he's doing. He's praying for it. And if you read Hebrews, it says he lives evermore to intercede for us. Yeah, we appreciate the prayers of the saints. I covet your prayers. But more importantly, I covet Jesus' prayers. I know his prayers don't fail. Amen? Jesus also, and this is remarkable, he prays for future disciples. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not, this begins a transition from present disciples to future. I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. Let that hit you for a moment. You know why you're here today? You're an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. He was praying for all those who would come to believe in him. When I look at you, you're not just a Christian. You're an answer to this prayer in John 17. Yet, God may use other instruments and other people praying and other people sharing the gospel with you and everything else, as he even points out. But notice that. Is that the most amazing thing that you've seen? That Jesus not only praying for his disciples presently, but now praying for all those who would believe all those martyrs through the years that were burned at the stake that did not renounce Jesus, that did not renounce their faith, that did not allow the word of God to be burned. Jesus was praying for them back in the garden. John 17. I thank God for that when I understand that and when I realize that a little bit more. Realize that, man, it wasn't just my wife praying for me. It was also Jesus in John 17. It's an amazing truth. Notice who Jesus doesn't pray for in verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. For those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And see, it puts a spotlight on the special relationship people have with Jesus as opposed to those who would be in the world. That's, that's amazing, amazing. Now, I want to get into this because this is going to take a little bit of time. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus pray for? We saw a little bit of who did Jesus pray to. We saw who did Jesus pray for. He prayed for himself, prayed for the present disciples, and he prayed for all those who would believe down the road. But what did he pray? Because I think the content of how he prays, what he prays for is so significant for us. First of all, Jesus prays that the Son would be glorified. Look at verse 1. He says, glorify your Son. Glorify your Son. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me. In your own presence. Now doesn't it seem just a little bit odd that Jesus who is characterized by humility would now seek his own glory? 
we may be tempted to think, isn't this self-promotional? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for him to remain more humble? But to think that would be to misunderstand him because glory is his right. Glory is his prerogative. To be glorious, to be radiant, that is the truth about him. Glory is his eternal and real nature. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.